Hello, and welcome back to Current Account. I'm your host, Clay Lowry, the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. On Current Account, I try to talk about what I see as the most important current issues in international finance and economics while providing my own U.S. politics and policy angles on these different issues when it is relevant. Let me start today's podcast on a sad note, which is that the folks here at the IAF would like to send our thoughts and our prayers and our well wishes to those in Morocco and Libya after the devastating earthquake and floods that have happened most recently. Morocco had particularly been on our mind as it is scheduled to host the IMF World Bank annual meetings in less than a month. And the Institute of International Finance is having its annual meetings to coincide with those meetings in Marrakesh, Morocco, which is very near where the earthquake hit. While we hope to hold those meetings, right now our minds are mainly focused on helping the people of Morocco in this desperate time of need. Today, though, I want to talk about some big takeaways from what just happened at the G20 Leaders Summit in India, which was about a week ago. And I want to bridge it to those October meetings that are scheduled, at least at this time, to take place in Morocco, with the main link being the robust discussion that took place regarding multilateral development bank reform. As for the G20 summit itself, the biggest story was the controversy that erupted about how to discuss Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The problem, as you can imagine, is that there are G20 members that are openly doing business with Russia and have not followed the United States and Europe's lead in trying to isolate Russia. These countries that are prominent members of the G20 include China, the host country of the summit, India, and, well, Russia itself, which is a little bit awkward, but it is part of the G20. So this made it hard to create agreed upon and clear language about what's happened between Russia and Ukraine, frankly, condemning Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And instead, the G20 had to develop compromise language that few seemed happy with from all sides. And Ukraine itself condemned this vague language that appeared in the joint statement. On a more positive note, the G20 added for the first time another member, and that member was the African Union. The African Union joins the European Union as the only regional body in the forum. Maybe more importantly, it also signaled an attempt by the G20 to have more lower-income country voices, particularly from Africa. And while these were the headlines, today I really want to talk about multilateral development bank reform, or MDB reform, because it is a topic I've touched upon in the past, and it's an important aspect for what we do here at the Institute of International Finance. A couple of throat-clearing measures. MDBs, the most important one or the most significant one, is known as the World Bank, but also there are regional ones like the Asian Development Bank, the Inter-American Development Bank, and the African Development Bank, were established over the last 80 years to provide loans, grants, guarantees, and technical assistance to member countries, so middle-income and lower-income countries, for development projects ranging from healthcare or basic education to infrastructure or developing a more robust private sector to environmental sustainability. These banks are funded in a couple different ways. They're funded by capital contributions from their shareholders. So their shareholders are not private sector actors or institutional investors. Instead, they're governments that provide capital. The capital allows the banks to issue debt in the markets. They take the proceeds from those bonds 
and they on lend them and their development projects. That's why it's a bank. They're intermediating. In addition to this, they also, for the lower income countries, raise donor commitments from governments. And these are provided in either a grant form or a very well below market financing form to lower income countries. As you can imagine, all organizations, including the multilateral development banks, are constantly needing to reevaluate their priorities and decide where their resources could be best be allocated and make change where necessary. And this is something that we touched upon on episode 39 of Current Account, when I had the pleasure of interviewing Jay Collins, the vice chairman from Citi, and we talked about what had just happened in the spring meetings and how this summer and going into Morocco, we would see further developments on MDB reform. And the G20 summit was a good point for getting there. There are a number of areas that we saw discussed actually at a leader's level, which is unusual for something like the multilateral development banks. It's usually handled at a finance minister's or maybe development minister's level. So it was good to see the leaders actually trying to address these issues. And I think they tried to address a few different things. First is the priorities or maybe the vision of what the MDB should be doing. They should continue to do what they have been doing, but they also need to focus more attention on something that in the United States we call global public goods, but whatever they may be called, it is the ideas of challenges that go beyond specific countries, whether it is pandemics, like we've seen over the last few years, climate change, which is obviously a huge issue. But the MDBs need to adjust their priorities so that these become greater priorities when they're dealing with emerging market and lower income countries. Second, and this is something that Jay Collins and I talked a lot about, which is how do you mobilize finance in a better way? In other words, create the right incentives to actually crowd in the private sector to go along with the multilateral development banks because the financing needs are significant and the government entities such as World Bank cannot do it alone and far from it. They need to find ways of getting leverage and using the expertise that the private sector can offer. And the third, and this is going to be controversial, particularly here in the United States, which is figuring out financial capabilities of these institutions. What you sometimes hear about is that these institutions, in order to make these changes, they can't just squeeze more money out of the system, which they need to do and make them more efficient, but they also just need more money. So the way I used to always think about this was, yes, sometimes it's great to build a, a better mousetrap, but sometimes you just need a little more cheese. And so that's kind of what this was all about. How do you get better financial capability? So all of these issues plus others were discussed by the G20 leaders. And in many respects, what they did was they put a framework and gave permission to the financial technical people to come up with how do you make some of these areas more concrete, both in the short term and the medium term? And I think an important point on that was something that the Biden administration did before they went to these meetings, which was going to Congress and seeking supplemental support for the multilateral development banks. Now, let me kind of talk about what they did. The Biden administration has put forward a supplemental request. Most of the attention is about financing for Ukraine. However, they also put in essentially two parts for the World Bank. One 
is to ask for $1.25 billion from Congress that can be provided for middle-income countries. And second, $1 billion for something called IDA, which is a window within the World Bank that provides financing for lower-income countries. I think that there are a few objectives as to what the Biden administration is trying to do here. The first is to essentially put its money where its mouth is. So the the Biden administration has been talking about MDB reform for a while. And one of the pushbacks was, well, where are you in terms of putting up more money to make sure some of this can actually happen? And so this was an attempt by the Biden administration to say, here we are. Second is to try to figure out a way to provide greater leverage. So that $1.25 billion I noted, Biden administration suggests that this could lever up or leverage up $25 billion in extra lending by the World Bank. And if others join, this could make it even closer to $200 billion more of lending capacity. Now, so that's a pretty big leverage ratio over time, as long as you can get agreement on it. Third is there, they had run into a problem, which is how do we promote that we are willing to provide money for lower income countries and for middle income countries and not just for Ukraine? And so that was a criticism is that the Biden administration seems to be willing to provide lots of financing for Ukraine, but what about other countries around the world that are going through their own set of problems? And then fourth, and maybe more domestically political in the United States, is it is seen as a credible alternative to China's financing. So one thing that has happened over the last 10 years or so is China has become a bigger and bigger financier of middle-income and lower-income countries. And sometimes you hear about that in discussions about debt relief, and sometimes you hear about that in terms of leverage that China has about different countries. And this is an attempt I think, by the United States to basically say, we are willing to do this too. We want to do it in a multilateral way. And so it's not just about the United States. Obviously, if you're China, you would disagree with all of this, but I think that it is part of the rationale for what the Biden administration wants to do. So now that we are soon have to turn our attention to Congress, will Congress agree to this? It is important to note that the Biden administration also has significant resources requests for the World Bank and the IMF and other institutions already happening before any of this was discussed. And not all of that was probably going to be agreed upon by Congress. So now you're asking for a lot more from Congress. We'll only see whether this can actually happen. Turning back from Congress and from the Biden administration, we'll go back to the international community. This is clearly going to be a top priority and a top discussion point in Morocco, assuming that the IMF and World Bank meetings take place there in October, and we'll be very much looking forward to those conversations. So now it's time for my three, two, one. That's my three main takeaways, two things I'm looking forward to in my one sports fact. Here are my three main takeaways. First is India held a successful G20 summit in what could have been extremely controversial circumstances, but they somehow found a way through. Second, and maybe as importantly, 
leaders focused on issues that sometimes they are not able to focus on, which is something as maybe boring and technical, but very important, which is the issue of reforming institutions such as the World Bank and other multilateral development banks. And third, MDB reform is going forward, and it touches on a number of areas, including maybe most importantly, mobilizing even greater finance for countries around the world. The two things I'm looking forward to. First is the actual IMF and World Bank discussions that are scheduled to take place in Morocco in October. The MDB reform will be key to that agenda, and hopefully not just some progress, but true concrete progress can be made. And second, I'm looking forward to seeing how Congress over the next month or two responds to the Biden administration's request for greater resources for the World Bank for both middle-income countries and for lower-income countries. And now my one sports fact. In the last week, the Rugby World Cup began in France. Rugby is not a sport I have covered on this podcast, but it is an exciting time for rugby enthusiasts. The World Cup is held every four years, with this one being the 10th time it has been held. The tournament will take roughly two months to complete. The sport has been dominated by teams from the Southern Hemisphere, such as New Zealand, Australia, and South Africa, which have won eight of the nine previous tournaments, with England winning the other one. This year, there seems to be two teams that could overturn this narrative. First is the host country, France, which is a three-time runner-up in the tournament and is ranked number three in the world and it beat the perennial powerhouse, New Zealand, pretty decisively in its opening match. And second is the number one ranked team, which is Ireland. Ireland has never actually made it past the quarterfinals in any preceding World Cup rugby match. They are clearly looking to overcome this history, and they, well, there's no other way of putting it, destroyed Romania in their opening match. So it will be exciting over the next month of round-robin play before we move in October to the knockout round of the quarterfinals. My main point, enjoy. So that's going to wrap up this episode of Current Account. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback on the show as we constantly look to improve and enhance the experience for you, the listener. And we can be reached at podcast at IIF.com. All our episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening, and goodbye.